0: All that you guys do. Reaching out. If you have your Bibles, open up to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And starting in verse 22. And we're going to continue this morning with our series on authentic living, Spirit-empowered character. We were taking a look at the fruit of the Spirit, each one of the fruits are fruit of the Spirit. And looking at it, breaking it down, seeing how it applies not only to God, but then into our own lives as well. And so Galatians five twenty two. Says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, which we will look at today, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there are there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passion and desires. So if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. And then one that you do not have, a scripture you do not have, as I was looking over last night, at 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians 13. It's just basically one page back from Galatians in your Bible if you have it. It's the last verse as Paul is closing out. 2 Corinthians, his letter to the Corinthian church. And it says this, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and kindness to us. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on a cross for our sins. We have much to be thankful for. And Holy Spirit, I ask you would now come and open up our, the eyes of our hearts to hear and to see the words, convict us where we need to be convicted, and bring change to our lives so that we can reflect more. Of Jesus in our lives, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name, Amen and Amen. As I was just praying last night and looking over my notes again, and just reflecting upon my message, I was ran across this passage out of Second Corinthians, uh, thirteen and fourteen, and we see the Trinitarian aspect of it, but in particular, it is this uh, fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Uh, of what I want to really focus on today in this segment, because the tendency for us as believers, if we're not careful, is that one of the things that we love here at Abundant Grace, as you guys know, is we love doctrine. We we study Scripture, we study systematic theology, we study doctrine because in studying doctrine, uh, theology is basically the study of God, right? That's what theology means. It means the study of God. We want to study God. We want to know God in a personal way. But at the same time, there is this element that if we're not careful, doctrine can easily become knowledge-based. And so what I loved about this aspect is I was just reading through 2 Corinthians and then running across this last verse, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That word fellowship there is a very familiar word which we've talked about here at Abundant Grace. It's that word Konania. It means intimacy. It means relationship. It means there's something dynamic that's happening with us, with the Spirit of God dwelling inside of us. To where, when we hear messages about authentic living or we study God's Word, we just don't want it to be uh, like a knowledge based relationship. We want it to be an experience based relationship. So, the knowledge of the doctrine and the experience of the Holy Spirit coming together is what makes the Word of God alive. I've known a lot of people who all they do is just study, 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 and there is no relationship, there is no passion. We see it in the New Testament with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They studied the scripture, they understood the Old Testament, they understood what the Messiah was to look like, but they couldn't even see the Messiah standing right there in front of them. Some could, but many couldn't, and even the religious people were the ones who put him to death. And so for us as believers when we see Galatians chapter 5 here, and as we study Galatians 5 and we talk about authentic living, it is my heart and my prayer is that it is the Holy Spirit. That's why I called it Spirit-empowered character. This is something that you and I, these fruit of the Spirit is not something you and I are going to be able to, to somehow manufacture in and of ourselves. It is the Holy Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of Phil Corson. That's being manifested here. And we have to, we've talked about this already, about we've, there, there's personality traits that we may have. Some of us may be more loving. Some of us may be more harsh, whatever the case may be. That, and sometimes our personality traits can muddle the waters on some of these things, such as goodness, which we're talking about today. Many people think that they are good. Many people think in today that because they're good, they're going to heaven, because of their good works, because they're a good person, because they're an American. I mean, I've heard it all. People think these things, and this is why they're going to heaven. But we have to see that this koinonia, this fellowship of the Spirit, the fellowship with God, so when we are unpacking and looking at these fruit of the Spirit, it is my prayer that these things don't become knowledge-based to us, but that we're asking God, in our quiet times. We're asking God in our, spirit, in our spiritual disciplines, Lord, show me and teach me how to be more loving. Teach me how to have more joy. Teach me how to have more peace. Teach me how to be patient. Let the Spirit of God manifest these fruit in our life so that we can see God at work and that we have that koinonia fellowship, not that we're just gathering information in our head and then we walk out and don't apply anything we've learned. Or that we don't allow the Holy Spirit to continue to put fill, the old Phil course into death and more of Jesus shine forth out of me and out of you. And this is what I loved about that 2 Corinthians 13, 14 passage. It's that fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Are you having fellowship, koinonia, with the Holy Spirit? when you study scriptures when you are here to receive his word are you engaging with god or is this just a religious exercise for you and that's where we have to be careful especially for those of us who have been saved for a long time we can easily forget the things of god and we can forget that intimacy and that fellowship because man i've been i've been saved for Man, 40 years, easily, been raised, my mom raised me in the church. If you had those years, I mean, it's basically cut my teeth on the pew, man. I mean, I've been there, and we hear these things, and we, we come in, but I never want just the Scripture to give me knowledge, it's helpful. I need knowledge. But that knowledge, as well as the intimacy of the Holy Spirit, is to create something in me. And what it's going to create is more of Jesus and less of Phil. So I, I pray like, the, like John the Baptist pray. I pray that I would decrease so that he would increase. And that's the same for you. We have got to put to death the flesh because we saw it in Galatians 5, we know what the works of the flesh are, right? I mean, verse 19 of Galatians 5, now the works of the flesh are evident. It's very clear. You're not going to be surprised by the works of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, intimacy, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgy, and the things like these I warn you. That's what Paul says. And those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The the works of the flesh are evident, but the fruit of the Spirit is not evident. The fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit-empowered care that is going to be, it's got to be cultivated for it to be seen. And that's what we want to talk about. And so today we're going to talk about goodness. Goodness. And what? it means in, not only in the context of God but then also for us because each one of these traits, these fruits here, these characters that Paul writes about under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is all seen in God. In no other way than we can see it is the one in today where it is that God is good. I mean, you hear, hear it many times. God is good all the time, all the time what? God is good. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. It is so true. It's something that we we say and it's enjoyable. But then we have to look at who defines what good is. And we'll talk about that today. But my focus point is simply this, is that God is good But without him, we are not. It's that simple. So if you walk out with nothing, my focus point is always, if you walk out with nothing, walk out with this line. God is good, but without him, we are not. There's nothing in us, about us, that makes us good. We're not going to be saved through our good works. We're not going to be saved because we're a good person. And so we see that. But we're going to look at the scripture to see, first of all, is that God is, is good. God is good. God is the source of all good and goodness. And here's the key. God alone is the one who defines what is good. That was a great time to say amen. So I'm going to say it again. Give you that opportunity. That's right. Thank you we're going to look at today that God alone defines what is good. Amen. Amen. That's right. It's truth. Because if we don't allow God to define it, then you and I are going to define it. And so we must see that God in scripture has defined what is good. When God, in every sense, the beginning. When God created the world, when God created the heavens and the earth, when God created the animals, when God, he said what? This is what? Good. When he created mankind, you and me, he said, this is very good. So God is the one who defines good, not you and me. And we're going to see how that plays out in our lives because there's many times where you and I define what is good. Or you and I defined it when we're going through trials and tribulations that somehow we're questioning God's goodness to us. And we'll look at that. But we must remember it is God who defines what is good. This will help us understand this element as we walk through life's journeys with all hell breaking loose around us and we question God's goodness we have to ask the question phil are you defining this as good are you looking to god in his goodness and so we will look at that the god alone is what defines goodness all that god is and all that god does is good this truth transcends the capacity of our minds to fully comprehend But one day we're going to see God in all of his majestic, supreme goodness. And we'll understand. God never urges himself to be good. He is good. Everything about his being is good. God is infinitely and unchangeably good. And his goodness is incomprehensible to our finite brains. We experience God's goodness on a consistent basis. Look at the scripture here in Exodus 33, 19. This is Moses on the mountain with the burning bush. And God is speaking to Moses. And this is what God says to Moses to go hide behind the rock. And God says, look, and he said, God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And we see that God, in response to Moses, he hides him in there and he says, look, I'm not going to show you all of me, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to allow my goodness to pass before you. And how many of you know, when Moses came down from that mountain, it says that he was radiant like the sun. Everything about Moses' outward appearance glowed from the heavenly, glorious, majestic goodness of God. We see that what is what God is. God is, doesn't urge himself to be good. Hey, I think I'm going to be good today. No, no. God's entire nature is good. Look at Psalm 136, and your notes are on the screen. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Nahum 1-7 says this, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, 68, You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. You are good and you do good. Teach me your statutes. God is good and God does good. And we can see from Scripture as well that God can use evil to bring about his good purposes. God can use evil to bring about his good purposes. Perfect illustration of this is the story of Joseph with his brother. Joseph with his brothers as they sold him into slavery. Look at what Joseph says in Genesis 50 verse 20. As for you, talking to his brothers, You meant evil against me. Okay? Where Joseph is not excusing the evil that his brothers did. Joseph was not sitting back. Joseph now has a rear view picture of everything that has transpired in his life, but his brothers sold him, were going to kill him, put him in a pit. Fortunately, in the providence of God, uh, traders and slave traders were coming through and they sold him into slavery telling their father that he had died. Their heart was evil. They had evil intent toward Joseph, but look what Joseph said. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Everything about Joseph's life, everything, not just his brothers. I mean, we can go after Potiphar's wife here. We can go down to the cupbearer and the and the cake baker, the baker there, and the guy forgetting Joseph, and he's in prison a little bit more, wrongly accused by Potiphar's wife, all of the things that take place. If you were Joseph and experienced the things that he did, it would be easy and understandably why you could become bitter, bitter toward God because of all the things that have happened to you. Bitter because God showed you in a dream of all these things that were going to take place and it doesn't look like that dream is being fulfilled whatsoever. But now God turns around and uses Joseph, uses the evil intent of his brothers basically to save the nation. Because as famine comes into the land, all of Israel comes into Egypt. And so he says, "Hey guys, what you meant for evil, God has meant it for good." Even Jesus Himself, in describing God, in the story of the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, says, "Good teacher," and he says, "Why do you ask me what is good?" Jesus is very clear. There is only one who is good. Matthew 19:17. He points to God. But you see, it's in this idea of goodness where we see sin comes into the world. Adam and Eve Adam and Eve doubted God's goodness to them. They doubted the goodness of God. God had given them everything that they needed. He had provided everything for them. God had shown them love, mercy, kindness, goodness, everything about them. But yet the serpent comes and put that thought in Eve's mind when he suggested that God withholding that fruit from her was not good. And he puts the thought in the rain. He says, Hey, God knows that surely if you eat this fruit, then you will be like God. And you will be able to know the difference between what? Good and evil. You will be like God. The enemy come in and put that temptation into Adam and Eve where he basically put in them doubting to doubt God's goodness to them. God somehow is withholding goodness from you. You see, in Adam and Eve's pride, they, rather than God, they determined what goodness was for them rather than God determining what goodness was for them. Adam and Eve made that decision alone in in and of themselves. And how many of you know we do the same thing, don't we? When we go through trials... When painful things happen, when tragedy strikes, when the diagnosis of cancer, the losing of a child, the you name it, put it in there. It is very easy. The temptation is going to be there for us to doubt God's goodness to us. God's goodness and how it is manifested in our lives on a consistent daily basis. And when we determine what goodness is and when we try to define what goodness is rather than looking at the definition of how God views goodness, that's when we run into trouble. Because we say, Lord, if, if you were good, why would you do this to your children? Why would your children have to suffer and go through things just as like the world has to go through things? Like somehow becoming a Christian makes us immune to sin and sinful people in the world. It doesn't. But it gives us a hope, it gives us a mindset. Whenever I experience trials and my wife and I go through things, it's very, the temptation to doubt God's goodness is very real. But we have to remind ourselves and to resist that temptation and not to go down that road, but to remind ourselves that, hey, what we see circumstantially, we we don't see what's happened. I am sure Joseph struggled with the goodness of God because he knows he had a promise from God. He had his dreams of what it was going to be, that God was going to use him in, in some incredible way. And maybe God gave him that, those dreams and the visions of the, of the stalks of wheat and the cows eating and all the stuff that's taking place, all the things that goes on and, and that the stars and all these things. Maybe God gave him that because he knew what Joseph was about to go through. And Joseph could hang on to that promise that he had from God. But it would have been easy for Joseph to go in and question the goodness of God. And so we have to We have to be careful. See, you and I, we're on the other side of the cross because we see God's goodness appears in two ways. God's goodness is shown through giving, what he's given us, and through his forgiveness. When God gives, it is a reflection of his goodness and we see that anything that we receive from good, anything good we receive, we know is from God. James 1.17 talks about every good and perfect gift is from the Father up above. We know that. We experience that. But we must be careful as believers that we do not allow circumstances to be the gauge of us determining God's love and God's goodness for us. We cannot do that. But if anything, circumstances in our life are not the barometer of God's love and goodness. The cross is. The cross is the ultimate demonstration of God's goodness and love to you and me. When we are tempted to forget about all the temptations of of, of being inundated with everything that's going on, we must remember the cross. We must remember what God has done on the cross for you and me. Look at this little poem here that I found by this person called Spur. It says this, When you are tempted to deny God's goodness, love, and grace, look to the cross of Calvary where Jesus took your place. That is what we must do. When we begin to question God's goodness now on the other side of the cross, we must, as believers, look back to the cross to see God's goodness manifested there to redeem mankind and to, to provide a sacrifice for mankind like you and me. So the cross of Christ is certainly <laughs> the ultimate expression the ultimate expression of God's goodness. We see that. Remember the quote from Romans chapter 5 where it talks about this. Paul is talking about, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is an incredible manifestation of the goodness of God. Paul's saying, look, you know, there's probably very rarely somebody's going to die for anybody. But someone might die for a good person. Good as in they're just, you know, hey, that person is really nice. They're okay. They, they do good things to people. But God shows his love and his goodness in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There was nothing about us in our relationship that we were pursuing God, that Christ came and died for us. No, while we were his enemies, while we were still sinners, while all of these things, God sent his son Jesus to die for you and me. This is what we see. So we see this aspect of the goodness of God. And we know that God is good and everything about God's character is good. God doesn't work it up, he doesn't manufacture it. It is of his essence. It is who he is. So that's God. Now how does this relate to you and me? Relates very much so from Galatians 5:23 here where it talks about this fruit of the Spirit, this Spirit-empowered fruit that has taken place. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 5 has put kindness and goodness together. They are very similar, the the two words. Even in the, the Greek language, there is an element of goodness being just like kindness. In some ways, they're almost interchangeable. And Last week, when we looked at time at, at looked at kindness last week, at times, there are some words that you could even put goodness in there because it has that same element of it, such as the scripture we looked at, I believe in romans two four It is the kindness of God which leads us to repentance. Some of your other versions in the Bible may say it is the goodness of God which leads us to repentance, so those words they 're similar but yet they're distinct. They have a, a distinctness about them or why have the Holy Spirit put them in there, right? I mean, if they're similar, why not just say, okay, kindness and leave it as kindness, being interpreted as goodness. But there's a distinction between those two and distinction comes with goodness. So even though they are distinct, goodness has this to it. This, this is where they are different. Goodness has this element of rebuke and discipline to it, where kindness doesn't have that. It has only this idea of helping, being able there to help, as we talked about last week. If you weren't here, you can go online and listen to it on kindness. But that is what this element of goodness has to it. There is a, a, an element of rebuke, an element of, of um, uh, discipline to it that is distinct from Kindness. And I'll talk about practical ways in which that looks. So I'll just give you one right now. Goodness can be seen in, by confronting your brother who is in sin. God's goodness confronts us, God's goodness rebukes us. God's goodness is what is there that comes and changes us. So, so they're, while similar, yet distinct in these different aspects of life. And it is in this Greek word here that we see "agathēu," which we see is the Greek word for goodness, and it is only found, this word is only found in biblical literature, not secular literature, because it means this high moral character reflected of nature and life and effectiveness of what it is. So so this word is only seen here. This is why, this is a word here, if your daughter's name is Agatha, her name means good or goodness. That's what Agatha means. Where we get this idea of goodness comes from this Greek word, and it just simply means this. It just means uprightness of heart and life. So when Paul is writing here in Galatians chapter 5, Paul is using this word in the Greek to talk about you and me. It's not related to God now. This is related to you and me, where the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is using goodness in our life. And so what it means in our life, it means to be upright of heart and life. So in many ways, goodness has both internal and an external element to it. It's internal in that the Holy Spirit is working on us, goodness. He's changing us. He's making us like God. He's making us like who God is and we are to imitate God and everything about it. So that spirit-born character of goodness is being manifested in our life. But then that spirit-born manifestation of goodness that's in us is seen by what we do. It is not something that we just build in and of ourselves and keep in and of ourselves. Goodness being developed by the Spirit of God in us can be seen in the various works that we do all throughout our lives. This is what and how we effectively display God to a lost and dying world through the works that we do. But our works do not save us. Amen? It's evident. We're saved by faith through God alone. So in many ways, what we do shows who we are. Our actions show what or who is on the inside of us. Everything that we do is a reflection of who we are. We can see this over and over as the Holy Spirit works in our lives, our character changes. Thank God for that. Amen? Thank God that I'm not the same man I was 40 years ago when I got married. That's right. And that's my mom that's saying amen for our guest here, okay? That was my mom saying that. She loves me. Thank God I'm not the young man I was anymore that I've changed. And she lives, my mom lives right next door to me, so she also feels the effects of that. It's great, it's so true, but that's what the Holy Spirit does. We become more like God as we imitate Him. This is what Paul says Be imitators of God, brothers. Imitate God in all these ways. But we cannot manufacture goodness on our own, but the Holy Spirit in us can produce goodness. And then it can be seen by the lost and dying world in which we end. you see first and foremost, goodness is a heart issue. we have to change, we have to accept Christ, and once we 've accepted Christ, now the Holy Spirit is going to begin to mold us and shape us and make us more and more into the image of jesus christ that 's the work of what he 's going to do in us so it 's first and foremost a heart issue then As it becomes a hard issue, then goodness can be, quote, seen by the good works in which we do. Look at the scripture on the screen or in your notes. It says this in Luke chapter 3, verse 43 through 45. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. Okay? So it is first a hard issue that is going to be seen. Our root system and everything about a root system of a tree and that we nurture it, we fertilize that thing, is going to produce the fruit. And it's going to produce the fruit of what that tree is. So the good person, out of a good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of an evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, hey guys, don't be deceived because... An evil tree is not going to produce good fruit. And a good tree is not going to produce evil fruit. But the good person out of the good treasure that is in his heart produces good. What you are putting inside of you is what you are going to export to those around you. Right? We looked at this at the beginning when we talked about our first message on Galatians chapter 5. The flesh and the spirit are constantly at war with one another. That's you and me. Prior to becoming a Christian, there was no conflict. You and I were living as fast as we could and running as fast as we could to hell. That's what we were doing. We were living our own way, doing what we pleased, going right after pleasure we wanted. But when we became a Christian, all of a sudden, now there's this internal struggle going on. Paul says in Galatians 5 that there's a battle between the flesh and the spirit. And I used and told you about the story of a missionary who was talking to the, the um, Indian chief about his relationship with the Lord. And he says, well, I feel like The the Indian chief described it this way, I feel like that there is a a, a black dog and a white dog, and and they're at fighting with one another. And the guy asked him, which one's winning? He said, the one I feed the most is the one winning. And it's the same thing here with what Jesus is saying. Hey, the good treasure in your heart is what is going to produce good fruit. This battle of the flesh and the spirit that we experience on the daily basis, what is going to be produced, what is going to be, quote, seen, is what is first and foremost on the inside of us. So therefore, we got to ask ourselves, what are we feeding ourselves? Are we feeding ourselves righteousness, truth, love, joy, peace, patience, all these things? Are we feeding ourselves garbage? the works of the flesh, sexual immorality, pornography, going after every work of the flesh, are we determining ourselves and walking out and saying, no, I want to produce good things. Now, does that mean I'm looking for perfection? No. I've been saved for over 40 years. Some of you have been saved longer than that. By the way, I'm only 40. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Got saved at birth. No, I've been saved 40 years. Does that mean I'm perfect? No, it doesn't mean I'm perfect. I'm far from it. Ask my wife. She'll tell you. But I am growing more and more and more every day, and I will never be perfect even if I live to be 80, 85 years old. It doesn't matter your age. You're always going to be battling the flesh. It's there. It's always going to be here until Jesus comes back. You see, the type of goodness we're talking about isn't just to benefit us. The type of goodness that we're talking about is to benefit others. We don't cultivate goodness in our life as a fruit of the Spirit just to be virtuous. We produce goodness in our life by the Spirit of God to benefit other people, to go out and to serve them. You see, this is why doing good is a radical way of living for Jesus Christ. Jesus, on the Sermon of the Mount, doesn't lay out in Matthew chapter 5, he's not laying out a new set of rules for those that are following Christians. It's like, okay, the Old Testament had the Ten Commandments, Jesus has given us a bunch of new rules, and in in Matthew chapter 5. No, 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 that's not it at all. What Jesus is giving is Jesus is giving on the Sermon on the Mount a description for a way of the quality of life. Not rules and regulations. He's saying, hey guys, this is what a radical disciple looks like. Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall see the kingdom of God. Blessed is this, blessed is that. Jesus is laying out all these this idea of, of this quality of life, something that, that those that he was talking to This would be totally radical because all they knew was pharisaical living. They knew no other way to live. They looked at the religious, the common man that Jesus was talking to, looked at the religious people as something unobtainable. It could never be like that. And Jesus comes and said, hey, that is not the model. This is the model. And Jesus comes and teaches them the way to live a quality of life not a new set of rules but a way that they could go and live and so Jesus continues here in Matthew chapter 5:16 on the sermon on the mount in the same way let your light shine before others so that they may see your what good works And give glory to your father who is in heaven. This is what Jesus is after in us. It is not just goodness to be demonstrated, as I mentioned, just to be a virtue in our life, but goodness is to be demonstrated so that it is for the benefit of others. Jesus is only reiterating that to let our light shine before others so that they may see your good works and not give glory to you. But give glory to your father who is in heaven. Everything that we do every good work that we do is for the purpose of bringing glory to God. It's when we don't do it for the glory of God is when we fall into sin. When we're doing it for the glory of ourselves. When somehow some way the good work that we're doing The good work, as we will see in Ephesians 2, 10 in just a moment, the good work that God prepared in advance for us to do, when we're doing that for our glory, we're missing out on the beauty of what goodness is. It's not to bring glory to myself. It's not for me to be recognized. It's for me to bring glory to God in all that I say and do. Every aspect of our life Look at how else we're supposed to view and encourage goodness in our life. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 9: Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Cling to the good things, hate what is evil. Look at Colossians 1:10. Live a life worthy, that should say, of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit. In every good work, live a life worthy of the Lord and bear fruit in every good work. Mentioned it already, Ephesians 2, we know two eight, right? By grace you have been saved, it's not by yourself, not by works, so that no one can boast. Verse 10, which rarely gets communicated. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God is working on all these things. Then we know that God doesn't want us to get tired, right? Get tired of doing good. Look at Galatians 6, 9 and 10. And let us not grow weary of doing good. So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially those who are in the household of faith. That is how we are to manifest goodness, to be seen by all men. Our good works that we do are to be seen by men to bring glory to God for, in many ways, what he's done in us. If anything, we should be giving glory to God for allowing us the opportunity to do the good works in which we have. Look at Titus 3.8. eight says this, So that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. What is good? It's how can we do things that benefit others? What can we do to show these ways of God? And then finally, there's a lot of scriptures. You can look them up yourself. And I'm just giving you a few. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. How is this being manifested in your life, in my life, on a consistent basis? So what are some practical ways that we can do good and see good in our lives? I already mentioned one about confronting a brother who's in sin, brother or sister who's in sin. This is being good to them. It's loving them in a way that we can confront someone about a particular sin. Another way we can demonstrate good, uh, goodness is giving to the poor, giving to the poor. You have an opportunity out here in a number of ways with the uh, Strike Out hunger campaign that's taken place. You see all of the canned goods. Guys, I've got 38 baskets or 36 baskets that we're, we're going to fill up by the grace of God to be able to feed. We've got till November the 10th. And we're going to feed and help feed people in our community as we join together with other organizations to strike out hunger. Another way is through Operation Christmas Child. It's just cranking up. Jenna Walcott is heading that up. I'm going to be letting her come and share next week about what has taken place and what to do and all of these things. We've done it for years on end, but it's always good to be reminded and refreshing. We've got those plastic containers for you to take one and to fill up for a boy or for a girl, countless opportunities over and over again. I can look back and see all of the ways in which you have reached out to people in our community, and the monies that you gave. The monies you gave toward the Bahamas, and the monies that you gave to Cape, Camp Anderson in Old Town, Florida, where they're housing 34 Bahamians whose homes were destroyed. Over and over again, these good works that you are seeing are bringing glory to God because the people see the generosity on you, and I'm so grateful for you. But that's a practical way. Another practical way of showing goodness is by providing for your family, visiting the sick, volunteering at various times like you have, cleaning up after a storm, making meals for someone who just had a baby as forgot to mention uh, send it out via email Burden and Mallory Collins had Everest Jackson here on uh, last Monday and uh, they're doing great little Everest is doing great talked to Mallory yesterday to check on her see how things were going i know you're going to be upset by this ladies but she delivered Everest in 8 minutes it was crazy hearing the story i'm like what 8 minutes and she said yeah man Water broke. We got to the hospital. She's standing at the nursing station, and she's delivering right there at the nursing station. I had to get her and take her in. Three minutes later, boom, done. It's like Mallory, you're my hero. That's all I have to say. But it's an incredible story. But you guys have signed up to give meals for them. This, this is a way, folks. It's, it's it's demonstrating love. But this is this is goodness being manifested in your life. This is this is. If you're not careful, here, here, this is where I have to, this distinguishing aspect, you see, we can do these things and somehow think that that goodness was manufactured by us. But you have to see that that is spirit-born goodness in you. You wouldn't have done well, you might have done it if you weren't saved, but you've got to see the heart behind it is for the glory of God to serve your sister in the Lord and to serve these poor people. So don't attribute some of the things that you do as good on an everyday basis as somehow you're just being good because that's who you are. No, that is spirit born, spirit empowered goodness being manifested through your life. So give glory to God for it. Rather than just interpreting that I would have done that anyway. Well Maybe. There's a lot of things I think I would have done prior to save, but I doubt it very seriously. Because I was selfish and would be selfish. I wouldn't have wanted to serve anybody. I wanted people to serve me. That was, that was my life before Christ. Yeah. The reason I had sisters and brothers was so that they could serve me. What other reason did my mom have them? Right? This is the goal. But when that you get saved, all of that changes. You put to death selfishness and you bring forth the Spirit of God of goodness, of love, of mercy, all the fruit of the Spirit. Another way you show goodness, practically, is by praying for your enemy. Now I know I would not be doing that prior to salvation. I know that that is a work of grace in my life. Praying for those who despise you. Praying for those who mock you. Praying for those who persecute you. Praying for those who slander you. Praying for those who gossip about you. Praying for those who undermine you. That's not a work of the flesh, and that's nothing Phil Corson would manufacture. Phil Corson would do the opposite. He's looking for revenge. But the Spirit of God And spirit-empowered character of goodness is coming through, gives me the ability to pray for my enemy. And there is a thousand other ways I could give to you. And the beauty of the creativity of the Holy Spirit is there's ample opportunity for us to display this type of goodness. So then it comes down to this. Why why does the Apostle Paul put such a strong emphasis on Christians being good and uh, being people that do good works? Why, why, why would he put such an emphasis on it? And I, I believe the reason why the Apostle Paul would put such an emphasis on it is because when we do good, it reflects the gospel of Jesus Christ. It reflects the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul teaches us in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it teaches us this that Paul says, Do not overcome, uh, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And when he's talking about that, I think he has this distinct echoing effect of what God did for us on the cross. As I mentioned earlier, the cross is. Where the goodness of God overcame human and satanic evil by him bearing himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus, who was born a man, came and lived on this earth, a sinless life on this earth, went through a horrific beating, died a death on the cross, which was shameful but was raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father. This here, as I mentioned before, that the cross is really the ultimate expression, the ultimate expression of the goodness of God. This is why you and I worship God. This is why you and I thank God for his goodness has been poured out. His goodness, as we sang earlier today as the worship team goes ahead and comes on up, His goodness is running after, running after us. It was running after us. It came in, and the goodness of God is perfect. Everything about God, everything about our lives is perfectly manifested, His perfection. Anything, folks, whatever it is that you're going through today, whatever it is that you're experiencing, it is the goodness of God being manifested in your life. God is being good to you. You may not think it's God's goodness. No one ever does. When I disciplined my children, they didn't think I was a good father. They were saying, you're a mean, mean father, not a good, good father. They didn't know that the discipline process was good for them. They didn't understand that. But as they've gotten older now, as they've seen the character, they come back and say, hey, dad, thanks. We may not be experiencing and seeing, oh yeah, Stephen's not doing that. He's just choking up. That's my son back there, by the way, for an air of our guests. So he was the worst one that we really had to show the goodness of God to. So, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but whatever it is you're going through, I'm sorry you're going through it. But let me encourage you, be careful of the temptation to think, that God doesn't love you and he's not good to you. It's far from it. God's goodness is running after you. It's here. It's there. It's going to be seen. It's going to be manifested. God is good. He does good and he is good and he is good to us. If God, if God met our greatest need by sending his only son to die for our sin, how much more will he demonstrate his goodness to you and to me? If God knows when a sparrow falls to the ground, when a sparrow falls to the ground, how much more does he know what you're going through and is there for you? Amen? He's a good good Father. It's who he is. It's who he is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your goodness, which continues to run after us. Lord, you have shown your perfections over and over and over again. And we give you all praise and all glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together and worship the Lord.